Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Moving Right Along, a Muppet Movie podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. It's the podcast where we watch the Muppet movie two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Anthony Strand. And I'm your other host, Ryan Rowe. And joining us today, we have a very special return guest. Tell the folks who you are, special guest. I'm special return guest, Jessica Evans. (laughs) That's right. You nailed it. Got it in one. That is your name. (laughs) And I'm delighted to be back. And We are delighted to have you back. Friend of Tough Pigs going back many years. Many years, and, that's right. And Muppet fan going back many years. Even even more years. And I'm delighted to be here on a very... This is a big show. This is a big episode. I don't want to spoil it for the folks, but we're getting it, close. It, it is a big episode because today we are looking at minutes 91 and 92 of the Muppet movie. We begin in the middle of the Rainbow Connection reprise with Gonzo's line, Rainbows Are Memories, and we continue through the rest of the song ending with a rainbow shining down on a whole bunch of Muppets. (laughs) So to start with, um, I wanted to talk about the actual song, the song that is sung at the beginning here, the rainbow connection reprise. It feels to me like every line has a different significance to it. And I kind of want to go through them one by one. Yeah. The other thing to note is that these are different lyrics than the, at the beginning when Kermit was singing it by himself. Oh, right. These are all new lyrics. Yeah. Um, Beginning with Gonzo's line, rainbows are memories. And I always love this because Gonzo, we're going to see him in a second flying again with balloons. Uh, He does here, right? He's flying with balloons here. And it's like he's thinking of that memory of his time in the sky, which he wants to do again, right? He's, He's flying, not walking with fake balloons in their movie because rainbows are memories. And I just think it's so sweet. Yeah. Yeah, this is where he gets to he gets to do it again. Well, they're retelling the story of what happened, right? So, I mean, well, I don't want to spoil it, but they're all going to go through their uh, different pieces. Right. But I think I think that's why they give Gonzo the line, rainbows are memories, right? You could give it to anyone. The whole This whole sequence is a memory. But I feel like it means the most to Gonzo because he wants to go back there someday. Yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah, that's true. Um, and then Piggy's line is sweet dream reminders. What is it you'd like to do? She's, she's, she's egging Kermit on again, right? She spent this whole movie being Kermit's cheerleader, calling him El Capitan and all these things. <laughs> I guess I would also say, as long as you're framing it this way, sweet dream reminders. We saw uh, Piggy have a, a very sweet dream when she first saw Kermit. She had her whole fantasy sequence. Oh, that's right. Right? Yeah, exactly. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. And then all of the Muppets say, all of us watching and hoping we'd find it. And guess what? They are all watching this movie at the same time as us. (laughs) (laughs) It's about to get very meta. Mm -hmm. And then Kermit says, I've noticed you're watching too. And he looks right at us. It's like Grant Morrison's Animal Man in this. <laughs> I, I was yeah. going to say, would you believe I made the same note? But yes, of course you would believe that. I, I absolutely would believe that. Um, and for listeners who don't know, Ryan, explain a little bit about Grant Morrison's Animal Man. Uh, it's a DC comic from the 80s with this character who was not that popular before. And then this writer, Grant Morrison, took over and did all these crazy imaginative stories 
And there's one of them where he becomes aware that he's a comic book character. And there's a moment where you flip the page and there's an entire page full panel of him just staring back at you, looking shocked and saying, I can see you. So Kermit is looking right at us, just like Animal Man looked right at us in his comic Uh, book. (laughs) You both thought that exact same thing? Of course. Yes. And you know what? You know what, Jess? If uh, if our friend Joe Hennis had been here, he definitely would have thought the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Uh, I guess that makes you perfect hosts. You're, you're, you're totally in sync. You know, I wrote that down too, but mine was to ask, isn't there like a term for that? What do they call that? Breaking? Is that breaking the, breaking the fourth breaking wall, the fourth wall yes. when they, when they stares right at the, at the, uh, that's what I thought. And Wait, that okay. is a term that is often misunderstood and misused now. Like people use it anytime character acknowledges that they're in a movie which is not really what breaking the fourth wall is what it really is is when characters address the audience directly as if they are uh speaking through the like it it comes from theater where there's like an imaginary fourth wall on on a set and then they, they speak to you through that wall so isn't it ironic? I believe the last time I was on the podcast we also had an example of breaking the fourth wall with the uh, the ventriloquist that Anthony insulted. Uh, oh, right. Edgar Bergen. Yes, Edgar yeah. Bergen. <laughs> right? That's true. He, Yeah, so that was acknowledging they're in a movie and then also looking right at us and kind of like... It was both, yeah. right? He said, oh, it's their movie. Well, no, wait a minute. Where the, where the, I guess maybe that was the example of it. Yeah, and now The Kermit wrong example then. Yeah. Oh, but what, so one thing I want to mention about that, though, Kermit has the line here. But on the soundtrack album, Fozzie sings that line. I've noticed you're watching too. Oh, so I don't know which was I would well, I don't know which was recorded first, and I don't know why they made the switch. But I guess it makes more sense for it to be Kermit. That's another question for uh, Frank Oz on Twitter, I guess. (laughs) Well, I think it makes more sense, Kermit. He's you know he's every he's the one who's bringing everybody together. So of course he's acknowledging the audience. You know, it's like he's inviting us to come along. Right. Yeah, I, I can't really come up with a, a compelling reason for it to be fuzzy. Yeah, I don't know. Huh. Um, and then the next line is the whole chorus again. Say, someday you'll find it. The Rainbow Connection, the lovers, the dreamers, and then they get cut off. It's not someday we'll find it, which is what Kermit says at the beginning of the song, at the beginning of the movie. It's someday you'll find it. They're talking to the audience. They're not so, talking to themselves. They're right. talking to me. Yeah, they're telling us that we will find it someday, which is beautiful, and it makes me feel good that the Muppets have confidence in me. Yeah, yeah, they want to see us uh, find our rainbows. Yeah, it's very uh, inspiring, encouraging. Thanks, it's very Muppets. inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> it's just what I needed today. Just what? Well, they're all breaking the fourth wall. Then it's a huge break at the end, which is very foretelling of what is about to happen. Because what happens next, Jess? <laughs> Everything breaks. Gonzo goes into the rainbow and the whole set comes down and poor, poor little eight-year-old Jessica has a heart attack in the movie theater because oh, no. everything's getting broken. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't a fan of that. <laughs> well, I remember being a kid and just being confused. Yeah. Like, I remember just always being like, why is this? Ha-? Like, I felt like every time I watched the movie, I would forget that it happened. 
Yeah, funny that you say that because when I watched the clip this time, I also had forgotten that it happened, and I just rewatched the movie not that long ago. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I didn't like that when everything fell down because it felt like, oh no, like nothing is going to be right. Of course, the end makes up for it, but there is a moment of a little bit of anxiety right there. Did you find yourself wondering if it was supposed to happen? Like when you watched it as a as a kid, were you like, uh, uh, what what's happening? Why is this in the movie? Yeah, I guess it was like a little bit of a letdown because in my, you know, in the kid's mind, it's like, oh, this is the beautiful movie that they're making. And then, uh oh, like, but even though that is kind of what happened, right, uh, the crash was also sort of Im- images what had happened in the movie, right? That he, he crashed. So I shouldn't have been surprised, but it was surprising. <laughs> When he first crashes, he just lands on the car. Here, the like the thing that has always been the most, I guess, savage to me about that scene is Gonzo crashes into the rainbow. Scooter, Bunsen, and Beaker are all sitting on top of the rainbow, and they just fall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I had to back that up a couple times to make sure, but you definitely see like it, it falls over, and Bunsen is kind of. I think that's Bunsen is kind of dangling there for a second and then just plummets off and then Scooter falls after him and Beaker is just clinging on for dear life. Yeah. It looks like Bunsen tries to hang on and can't. And it's just like, like if you really look at those three characters, they are dead. They, they, (laughs) and of course we see them all again at the end. They're fine. Like they're Muppets. So it's fine. But it's brutal. Just this like horrible accident. Yeah. This is how, uh, this is how Beaker dies kids. (laughs) <laughs> no, no wonder I didn't like it when I was eight years old. <laughs> your fave, Jess? No, I mean one of. I, d- I do love that little guy. <laughs> well, here's something though. We've commented in previous minutes about how flimsy these set pieces are. Like it's all very one-dimensional, like very theatrical, flat set pieces. This rainbow then is surprisingly sturdy. Like this is a, a very solid rainbow prop in the back. Yeah, that those guys can all sit on it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think these uh, set pieces looked that flimsy. They seemed pretty uh, well constructed. I mean, obviously not the ceiling of the place they're in. That's the other thing. I was a little like, uh, I don't know. I wasn't picturing soundstage. I guess. As a kid or now? As a kid. <laughs> As a oh, kid. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you just think, oh, I don't know. We should be filmed outside somehow. I'm not yeah, sure. Like the, like the Muppet movie. I think yeah. you, when you're a kid, you want it to line up with the movie that we already watched. Right? Yeah. It just seems so like, what are they even doing? Yeah. Um. Well, and then Crazy Harry doesn't help because like he decides to add more pyrotechnics. <laughs> Do you think he's doing that on purpose though? Or is it just because he's startled by everything that's uh, going on? Ryan, he's he's crazy hairy. Well, yeah, I feel like he so had it ready to go, and he he sees the opportunity. That's true, yeah, but I, I mean, notice he does it right after one of these one of these flats falls down. So I wondered if he was just like kind of uh, just um, instinctively flinching and and pulling back, and he happens to be uh, his hands happen to be attached to those levers, so he pulls them back. Think, why do you think that accidents make Crazy Harry flinch rather than get excited? Well, that's what about an, Crazy Harry would lead you to believe that? That's yeah, an you're excellent some defense point. attorney there. <laughs> I must have been thinking of his uh, brother, Reasonable Harry. Reasonable Harry. Uh, uh, <laughs> actually, I should say about Crazy Harry, 
Um, actually, when I was talking to um, a friend, Tough Pigs Cold leader, Joe Hennett, earlier today, I was talking about how people always theorize about what this scene means or whatever. And Joe said that his theory is Crazy Harry succeeds in setting the Muppets on fire, and now they're dead and in heaven. <laughs> so, take that for whatever you want. This that's, one that's, fan theory will blow your mind. Uh, yes, right, exactly. Um, so, what do you guys have any theories about what this means? Why the set falls down? I, I mean, I don't know if, if I've ever really thought about theories. It just seems to me like they wanted to do something to get to the point of having the rainbow come in and it, I guess it would have been boring or anticlimactic for them just to sing the song and then a rainbow comes in. So they had to add something more dramatic or more interesting and they, they landed on everything falling apart. Uh, I think it doesn't, it sort of uh, mimic the, the Muppet show, like how everything goes wrong and things break and fall down and stuff. It just seems like it's so them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I, I would also add that it's probably – like we talked on a previous episode that this should be a union production and the crew should not be the performers, right? Definitely. Well, maybe this is evidence that they should have hired a union crew and maybe the sets would have stayed up. Yeah. It's a cautionary tale. The whole movie is a, a pro-union parable. <laughs> what? All right. <laughs> Yeah, That's go. what the rats are for. I, th- I always just assumed <laughs> the rats had their own like separate That's work. That's <laughs> what the rats are for. Wasn't that a famous line from Mad Men? Wasn't that what <laughs> I think so. <laughs> what's, what's Elizabeth Moss's name on Mad Men? Peggy. Peggy. Wasn't that what Don Draper told Peggy? All right. oh, That's what he... the rats are for? That's what the money's for is a famous line from Mad Men. I was actually trying to search my memory to think of what line you were actually referring to, but I hadn't come up with it yet. Oh, it was, that's what the money's for. Yes, thank you. Well, just I cut that whole that thing show. out. Just cut it out. It's wait, a, wait, it was when he when he stole her idea for the, the Mop and Glow commercial, right? Probably. I didn't watch Mad Men. I just, oh. I just read Twitter. Okay. Yeah, it's a really good show. <laughs> you should watch it two minutes at a time. <laughs> It would take you like a million years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I could watch it in real time. I could watch the '60s pass in real time. Huh. Um, so moving on. Um, a- anything else about the the crashing sequence before we move on? I have a couple things. I, I noticed the individual letters of the Hollywood sign falling off. I thought that was a cool little detail when Gonzo crashes into that, or when the rainbow crashes into that. I guess. Yeah, that's neat. Um, so like it. And yeah. realistic, I think. Yeah, I guess they would if you if you fell on the Hollywood sign. If a, yeah. if a giant rainbow fell on the Hollywood sign, all the letters would fall over individually. Yeah. Um, oh. Also, the music behind this, I, I like that it's not... like It could have been a lot more dramatic or a lot more ominous, but it's just kind of like... It, it's almost... The, the tone is almost like wonder... There's a moment yeah. where there's an instrument that comes in that sounds like a circus calliope. It's like this do 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 do. It's it's very whimsical more than ominous. Fanciful was the word I was thinking. Yes. Wow, that was great impression. That's my calliope impression. I love it. Thank you. 
Um, the other, th I don't know if this is significant or not. The other thing that I wrote down is that the only line during the whole crashing sequence is right before the rainbow comes up. Rolf says Kermit. And I don't know if it's significant that Jim Henson's second most prominent character addresses Jim Henson's most prominent character by name. It's the only time anyone speaks. I don't know if it is or not, but I noticed it. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that, that they chose Ralph rather than Fozzie to have that one line at that moment. Yeah. And I, I just, I'm also looking. Well, but Rolf is a little more level-headed than Fozzie. Fozzie might like... be panicking. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, I mean, to, you know, that, that somebody more even-handed would, would, would be uh, the one to be like, hit Kermit. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also, I don't know if I completely <laughs> buy uh, the, the, the logic or the physics here of this, uh, the way the hole breaks in the ceiling, where there's some kind of like electrical box that explodes and that causes this big, uh, I think that's an arc light to explode. And there's like a, a uh, some kind of like a shower of sparks that shoots upwards toward the ceiling and that somehow breaks the hole in the ceiling. Seems Ryan? legit. <laughs> Ryan? Yes. This is a movie where a bear drives a station wagon. <laughs> yeah, but does that mean that it shouldn't be, it shouldn't uh, play according to the rules of physics? Well, no, all so, that stuff couldn't be in there according to the rules of physics. All right. Yes, Ryan, if a bear drove a car, the claws would ruin the steering wheel immediately. Why didn't you bring that up back in episode uh, nine or whatever it was? Real life logic does not apply to this movie. Is All that right. true? I don't think bears' claws are that long. I feel like they could drive. <laughs> Maybe I, <don't> know. <laughs> I think you're just speculating. Wait, we'll get a bear. Here's what we'll do: before we do Great Muppet Caper, we'll get a bear to drive a car for real. <laughs> then we'll report back on our findings. Yeah, All everybody, right. keep an eye out for our Kickstarter. <laughs> Entitled. Now who's being reasonable? That's my favorite nickname for you, by the way. It's one of them. Reasonable Ryan. All right. <laughs> well, good old reason. Yeah, you're kind of like reasonable Harry. Yeah. <laughs> Waiting he, for the moment. He was my favorite Muppet. He was good. I liked him too. Yeah. I like that sketch where reasonable Harry didn't do anything. <laughs> Waited for just the right yeah. moment. <laughs> yeah, he was just hanging around. Yeah. Um. So anyways, then, as we discussed, the rainbow comes down through the roof, and Kermit and the gang sing the famous final lines, you don't need me to say them out loud because they're everyone's favorite Muppet quote, you can buy them on a mug, people like to put them on memes, you know what I'm talking about, gang. It's so cheerful. I know what you're talking about. But do the listeners at home know? Yes, I they do, because they've seen the Muppet movie. Are you not going to say them out loud? Or are you? I'm not going to say them. One of you guys want to say them? Go for it. Write your own ending. Keep believing. Keep pretending. Come on! Guess <laughs> what we said <laughs> out to do? <laughs> Thanks to the lovers, the dreamers, and, and you. you. Come on. That's right. That's, those are the ones. You can buy it on a mug. Right. You can't so, hear it without uh, joining in. Uh, this is a, another one of these, uh, like, uh, sometimes I can't help myself correcting people who are wrong about Muppets on the internet. Th You've this... written many articles for this website. <laughs> I have, too many. Um, <laughs> but th these lines, especially lights, Life's Like a Movie, Write Your Own Ending, are often 
seen in like memes and things on the internet credited to Jim Henson, which I know everyone listening to this podcast knows that the songs in this movie were written by Paul Williams and Kenny Asher, but I think it's worth pointing out that Jim Henson played a character who said those words in this scene, but he did not, as far as we know, he did not write those words. Right. But he did say them in a movie. It's true. So it's not as, I mean, I feel like that's better than attributing like a Miss Piggy line to Jim Henson or something. You know what I mean? Which people on the internet have also done, by the way. But, but, he, yes. but he created the whole thing. So everything they do is his by default. And that's what people think. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I yeah. mean, it's kind of a cool legacy. I have to oh, say. sure. Yeah. <laughs> Which this brings me to something I wanted to bring up. So I happened to be chatting with some coworkers today and the Muppets came up. And one of the women at the table expressed extreme hatred for the Muppets. What? Just hates them, finds them annoying. She said, there's something about their faces that makes me want to punch them. Oh. I know. Wait. And I said, which one? I tried to remain really calm and I just wanted to get Uh her opinion. Guess which one she wants to punch the most? Miss Piggy. Uh, Piggy? No, that's what I... No. The one with the <laughs> nose, she said. Who? Gonzo. 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 Oh. Yeah. What? What? Yeah. He's so cute. It's the one she wants to punch the most. And then she sheepishly admitted that she doesn't want to punch Kermit. She did have to give me that. I was like, well, he's a, Kermit's a very sincere gentleman. He is. I don't. And this is a person in a helper role, right? So she's got a psychology background. And I said to her, in all honesty, how could you not cheer for the Muppets? And the, these words of this uh, song right here uh, are p- classic Muppet enthusiasm, inspiration. You can do it. You know, how yeah. could you want to punch that? Yeah, yeah I don't that, know. That doesn't make sense. And my my instinct is to say, like, these characters were designed and built by so many different people. How can you hate all of their faces? Like <laughs> puppets. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, that must be it. Maybe, maybe she doesn't like non-human faces of any kind. Maybe she doesn't like animal faces either. I, you know, I that don't think so. But she really doesn't like them up. And she was in her—I would say she's in her thirties. She's not like so young that she. I, I don't know. It was. It was a. I very rarely do you hear people express outright dislike of Muppets. Yeah, that's probably true. They either like them or they're indifferent. I was yeah. going to say, usually it's apathy. Yeah. But if you do, these listeners, these are the words you should sing to them, The these last few lines of the movie. <laughs> That'll turn any Muppet hater into a lover of Muppet humanity. Aww. Do you think those lines are accurate? Is life like a movie and, and is it possible to write your own ending? Uh, yes, I do. Cool. We're all we're all masters of our own fate. Maybe not masters, but we got some input in there. I believe it was the great Muppet enthusiast Sarah Connor who said, "There's no fate but what we make." Perfect. Terminator Two, you guys. I know, I know. I was. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. It's nice and hopeful, right? You know, I I think more. Maybe you can't master your own fate, but don't give up. That's the message of that. Right, it's the whole message of the whole movie. Like it's not the ending until you decide that it's the ending. Yeah, until yeah. you make a an impossible electric arc light, rip a hole in the ceiling, and pour the rainbow through to every Muppet ever 
known to the world. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's the next thing. That's a good segue because um, so I counted on Muppet Wiki, which on the Muppet movie page, they list all of the Muppets who are in the final shot, right? As they're singing the final lines, we see this huge group of Muppets. Which is amazing, by the way. I mean, um, hats off to the person who who coordinated. paused that and counted every Muppet, you know, named every Muppet oh. and put it on Muppet Wiki. Oh, right. Yeah, no, it's it's insane. Yeah, good job, Muppet Wiki editor, whoever it was. If you, if, if you want to take credit, email us. We'll mention you who you are next time. Um, but I counted, and this was one counting. I didn't double check. There are either... 201 or 202 Muppets in that shot, depending on how you count the two-headed monster. Well, I can tell you that I have a, a few things I want to uh, go over from that American Cinematographer uh, magazine. And mm-hmm. in that, it's it said there were 265. So okay. I don't know if there were some little ones that you couldn't see. That would be my guess. Or if they were just maybe overestimating a little bit. But somewhere in that neighborhood, yeah. Well, there were numbers on the floor in the pictures that you sent. Yeah, so that's another thing. Is there are these behind-the-scenes pictures where you can see how they did this shot with with all the Muppets, and it's it's pretty like I'm glad I wasn't James Frawley trying to uh, make all this happen. Just the logistics of of figuring out where all these puppeteers were going to be and how everyone was going to move, and you know, getting them all to lip sync to the song at the same time right but, yeah uh, yeah it's these these pictures I'll, I'll put them in the uh the post on the website but there's one where you can see that they have spray painted numbers on the floor of the set uh presumably so that every yeah, puppeteer like under the floor i was trying to figure yeah that out. so what they pit, did right? yeah it, it's i think it's the standard uh like they built the set up so there's a hole in what looks like the floor so the the puppeteers can be standing up and sticking the puppets up through the hole if that makes sense i'm not sure yeah. i explained that very well no, it does yeah so they're all standing on their numbers and sticking their puppets up and then to us and to the camera it looks like it's just puppets standing on the floor of the studio of the sound stage but uh yeah, that's pretty cool. And then there's one picture where you can see uh, Jim and Frank, uh, Jim Henson, Frank Oz, James Frawley, and a few other people addressing the crowd of puppets. And it's a great shot because it looks like they're they're actually talking to the characters. Like uh, there's some monsters and Sam and Ernie and Bert. And uh, there's a horse who looks like the horse is, is very attentively listening to what Frank Oz is saying. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah, it, it must have been uh, a pretty... Um, I, I guess it would be fun to be part of this shot. Oh, I'm sure it was. Um, and actually, one person who has talked in interviews about being in the shot, being on set for this, is uh, film director John Landis, who d- had just made Animal House right before this, went on to direct Blues Brothers, Coming to America, Trading Places, a bunch of stuff. Um, the Stupids, probably most famously. <laughs> Um, but he had talked in an interview with Kenneth Plume at IGN years ago. He talked about how there were just, it was just so exciting for him to be on this set with all, he just said, he described it as dozens and dozens of puppeteers. Yeah. And what I've read somewhere <laughs> is that they basically had to call every puppeteer in California and then some. Right. And uh, he, he was Grover. John Landis 
the director of the Blues Brothers, performed Grover in this film. Yeah. Wow. Um, and and an, another one of the performers was actually Tim Burton, who was a just a, like a Cal Arts animation student at the time, and would of course go on to direct Pee Wee's Big Adventure, you know, Beetlejuice, Batman, many other movies. Um, so do we know cool. which character he performed? I don't think we do. I think uh, Muppet Wiki just says that he did it, worked on the movie. Let me double check. I yeah, didn't... I, I didn't find that anywhere. Yeah, but there, there is a, sh- uh, there is a sh- um, if you see that, that, one of the photos Ryan mentioned, on Muppet Wiki, there's a close-up that shows Landis and Burton. Like, it shows where they both are in that picture of, of, of all the puppeteers. Oh, that's cool. And that's on the that's on Tim Burton's Muppet Wiki page. Hmm. But yeah, it just says he performed in the finale shot of the Muppet movie. We do not yeah. know. So yeah, next time you watch, you know, Edward Scissorhands or Beverly Hills Cop Three, <laughs> the director of each performed in the Muppet movie. And, and do you know if this is where John Landis met Frank Oz, or were they friends already? Because John Landis ended up. Uh, bringing in Frank Oz to do cameos in most of his movies. Right, and John Landis will return in uh, Muppets Take Manhattan, where he has a speaking mm, role. That's true. As, as Lenny of Baffle Lenny, Sacco Lenny fame. Yeah, John Landis, a uh, longtime friend of the Muppets. Right. So um, uh, do you count the two-headed monster as one or two? I count it as one. I think two, because there's the Richard Hunt head and the Jerry Nelson head, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. Right. I don't know. They they are two distinct personalities, the way they're depicted in the sketches on Sesame Street. Um I would say almost certainly it was just one uh uh puppeteer for the shot though. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. Um I did notice too in this when it pulls back, the two headed monster looks really big. He does, yeah. Like he um, he's his his heads are almost as big as the head of Mean Mama, who is this large, full-body monster character. Yeah, oh, no. The, the two-headed monster is bigger than I would have expected him to be. It could just be a, something about the perspective, too. I don't know. Maybe. Um, and I, I feel like, have we seen this picture on, like, a T-shirt or something? Like, I feel like this this scene crops up, has cropped up over the years in different things, or am I just imagining that? I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. If there was a t-shirt, I'd buy it. Sure. Pretty um, cool, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm double checking this John Landis interview with Kenneth Plume, which is from 2004. And in this, he does say, I first met Frank when we, when they were yes. shooting the puppet movie here in LA because I was a puppeteer on that movie. So there you wow. Go. That is in fact their first meeting. And he would go on to put Frank Oz in Blues Brothers, Trading Places, a bunch of other movies, usually as a cop. Right, so they met, and John Landis was like, hey, do you want to play a prison warden in this movie I'm making with John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd? Yeah, presumably, yeah. Yeah. They just like to have fun together. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so that brings us down to the end of the clip. Any other final thoughts before we close? I have a a handful. Jess, I'll start with you. (laughs) Well, uh, not really, except that, I mean, this is really the end, right? I, I don't, I don't want to spoil next week, but are these the last minutes or are you going to go through the credits or? I mean, they go, but we see them back in the theater. Sweetums is going to burst through the screen and all that stuff. Spoiler. Still- oh, yeah. Yep. 
Spoiler for anyone who is actually watching the Muppet movie for the first time. <laughs> over the first time. It seems so final, though, doesn't it? It really does seem like the end. Right. Well, it's the end of like the movie within. Yeah, it's the, the end of their movie. It's the end of the movie that the Muppets are watching. Right. 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 All right. So, so Ryan, what were your notes? All right. Let me see. So, the rainbow itself. Um, we talked many, many episodes ago about how did they do the rainbow at the beginning of the movie. <clears throat> and I think it was pretty much the same as this one, which is an optical effect. However, as uh, they discussed, the various crew members discussed in that issue of American Cinematographer, they originally tried doing it with a scrim, which is a, like a theatrical uh, trick Basically, so it says a rainbow in the form of a translucent scrim was hung from the ceiling to the floor and care had to be taken so that the texture of the scrim would not come into focus during pullback. So basically like a see-through curtain that was as tall as the entire soundstage. And as the camera pulls back through it, I guess, or under it, then it would reveal the rainbow uh, over these characters but they said it was impossible to get the colors to register brightly enough so in the end they added it optically which is what we see here and presumably what we see with the rainbow at the beginning of the movie huh. um so I, I think this looks really good i can't imagine it looking better than this any other right. way it looks like a rainbow so complicated yeah it takes a lot of work to to make a movie yeah um, also, in that same issue, uh, special effects supervisor Robbie Knott, who we mentioned a week or two ago, talked about how he added glitter to the, the shot where the, the debris is falling through the hole in the ceiling. I didn't see it. I, didn't, uh, I can't really tell that there's glitter there, but I, I'll take his word for it. I noticed it. it oh, is, yeah? Yeah, it is glittery. Okay. So it just makes it seem more more sparkly and rainbow-like. Yeah, more special. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Just like, did either of you guys see the Reading Rainbow episode where they go behind the scenes of Star Trek: The Next Generation? No, no. Uh, it's a uh, Bionic Bunny show is the title of the book and <laughs> the title of the episode. But on there, one of the special effects supervisors on Next Generation talks about how the warp um, effect is actually them swirling glitter around in water. Really? Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I'll see if I can find that clip and send it to you. We can put it in the show notes. Sure. <laughs> glitter imagine. does make things a little extra special, I have to admit. Well, I don't like glitter, but I do like old school uh, practical style effects where they had to get creative and use physical things to, to do effects like this. You don't like glitter? I hate glitter. Glitter, <laughs> like, once <laughs> glitter gets on you, it sticks to you for the rest of your life. Oh, if you ever like, if you do a craft project involving glitter, you're not going to get that stuff off of you. It's going to get under your fingernails. It's going to stick to your skin. It's terrible. <laughs> I have like a twelve pack of glitter shakers here, just for any time for crafts and stuff. Well, you can I'm a keep fan them. of glitter. I'm going to sprinkle a little in a birthday card and mail it to you. Just no, to see, that was I was going to say birthday. too. There, there are those people who think it's fun to stick <laughs> glitter in a birthday card and then it dumps all over your floor. Just kidding. I would never do that to you. Thank you. Uh, what else do I have? Oh, I, I just wanted to go over a couple of the... It, it's interesting to me to see where some of the characters are positioned. Like, you expect the 
the main Muppet Show characters to be immediately uh, near Kermit. And they are. But then as you pull back a little more, you see, like, I think first, mostly some other Muppet Show characters. There's a fish. There's some babies. There's a bird. Uh, the character Zelda Rose is is uh, pretty close to them right there. And then also Statler and Waldorf are here. Despite their, you know, they're Statler and Waldorf, but they, they still wanted to come and be a part of this finale. I mean, that's pretty in character for them, though. When to join comes, in on the big emotional, sentimental moment. Yeah, when it comes right down to it, they usually want to be a part of the stuff that the Muppets are doing. Yeah, yeah. And then um, I noticed the characters from the Land of Gorch sketches from Saturday Night Live are have their own little section way over on the left side of the screen when it pulls out all the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, Everyone's favorite Muppets. King, Plumis, <laughs> and Scred. And yeah. Yeah, so they they're they're sort of relegated to their own section there. In but, one of the photos you sent, you could see Bert and Ernie, and I'm guess I'm presuming that was Grover standing with them. Um, let me. It's kind of hard to tell. See. I don't see Grover. You see Bert and Ernie. Bert and Ernie are are pretty close. It's like next to Kermit is Fozzie, and then Robin and Crazy Harry and Sam, and then Ernie, and then Bert. Um, but I don't see Grover. He's there somewhere. Yeah. Oh, there he is. He's, yeah, he's kind of up and to the right from Bert on the screen. Next to one of those monsters from the t-shirt sketch, he's either Kermit the Gorf or Kermit the Groff or Kermit the Forg. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that sketch? One of my faves. Yeah. Um, and then I also just wanted to mention the Muppet Wiki page that has the list of characters mentions a few notable characters who are missing from this or semi-notable. So Sweetums, of course, and we'll find out why he's not in this shot in just a moment. But then also Mr. Snuffleupagus is not in this shot. Well, yeah, in 1979, he's not going to be there with everyone else. Yeah, I was going to say, I guess that's because nobody except, except Big Bird believed that he was real. Although, when did... When did other Muppet characters start to see Snuffy? Because I yeah. feel like that happened. I mean, I re- I've seen stuff where little kids have even seen him, you know, before the adults did and stuff. Yeah, I just don't know when they started doing that. Again, I don't, I don't know. I was born in 1984, so I like, I was surprised as a teenager to find out that Snuffy had ever been imaginary. He was very frustrating as a kid. Clearly standing right there. Oh, yeah, those old sketches are incredibly, they're, yes. they're infuriating. They are. <laughs> but but Snuffy, nobody sees Snuffy in this movie because he's just not there. And uh, Muppet Wiki also notes that Sam the Robot is not in this shot. And I have no idea why Sam the Robot wouldn't be there, but there you have it. What about Gaffer? I don't think Gaffer existed. Had, I was going to say, I don't know if Gaffer had been built yet. Um... When did Gaffer debut? Was it the fourth or fifth season of The Muppet Show? Oh, that laid into it? Yeah, I think it might even be season five, honestly. All right. I'm not sure, but I, I don't think it was this early. Yeah. Um, so then I have one more note, and I don't know, this might be my last uh, citation of the June 12th, 1978 draft of the screenplay. But uh, after, well, so 
in that draft of the script, the shot continues to pull back. So we see the huge crowd of Muppets and then it keeps pulling further and further back. It says the final shot of the film is a huge pullback in a tremendously large set, which continues to pull back from Hollywood, the US, Earth, and back into space. As the end comes up, we pull back to the screening room. So uh, I kind of like that. It, it would have been very dramatic, and I think it, it's a callback to a, a moment that was also cut where the, the beginning of the movie was started in space and then zoomed into Kermit on the Swamp. That makes but, a lot uh, more sense. <laughs> yeah, and but I think it's one of these kind of like, all right, get to the point, kind of. It's, it's you know, it, it would just add to the, add unnecessary time. You know, if it wasn't coming uh, all the way from space, I think I could really get behind that, though, because it's like the Muppets are bigger than just the Muppets. It's like the whole world. But would not, you like to, you not, would like to see it just go as far back as just seeing the planet Earth? Yeah, I think just as far back as the as planet Earth. Does that right. make me like Earthist or something? I don't know. I, I think you're allowed to be Earthist. <laughs> okay. I think space is a little too far. I don't want to spoil any other movies that you're going to review down the road, but space is a little Well, too I can far. tell you we a will not be reviewing far. the Robert Zemeckis movie Contact. So <laughs> <laughs> Well, so I think that's... that that is a good place to close for today. Indeed. We not be reviewing the Robert Zemeckis movie Contact. I love that movie, by the way. It's just not a Muppet movie. I've never seen it. But All right. We'll <laughs> more talk about the Muppet movie, which I have seen. Uh, in the meantime, listeners, please check out toughpigs.com on the internet, Facebook, Twitter, and anywhere else you can find it. Jess, thank you again for joining us. Thank you for having uh, me. Can you remind our listeners where they can find you on the internet? Uh, pretty much on that Tough Pigs forum, you know, you can find it right from the Tough Pigs website, and that's where uh, all my Muppet friends and I like to talk about Muppets. Still and other things. And, and other things. things. That's right. Um, you can you can follow me on Twitter at Zeppel Marxist. You can follow Ryan at me Ryan Rowe. And if you feel moved to give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, please do. And join us again next week for another episode of Moving Right Along. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Speaker is dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no.